morning, everyone, again. Um, I pray that the Lord would enliven our hearts to hunger this morning. Um, I'm going to start with Scripture. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. If you're new to your Bibles, that's in page 936 in that blue Bible in front of you. If you like opening up the actual book, which is always kind of fun. I'm going to set this up for you a little bit. Paul is a guy who went throughout the world and um, planted a bunch of churches. He's about one of the first people who did that. And he planted a church in this place called Corinth. And Corinth was this amazing city of a whole lot of people um, for its time. And it was the melding together of a whole lot of cultures because trade came through here. They had this six-mile thing where if your boat was small enough, you could start on this side, and these slaves would pull your boat on these logs that rolled all the way across the isthmus and put you over here, and that saved you a lot of time and a lot of danger sailing around. And so this became this port of a lot of different people mixing. It was also known for sexual promiscuity for a bunch of different reasons. But the, when the church got planted in this place, it was kind of awesome and kind of scary at the same time uh, because the Holy Spirit came it seems that it came on Corinth in a different way than it did even other places where a lot of stuff was happening. So if you'd walk in the church in Corinth, probably you'd, you might see a healing or a miracle somewhere. Someone might come up to you and say something uh, in your own language maybe or, or somebody might say something that uh, nobody knows about you. And these are the kind of things that would happen a lot in Corinth. Um, and it was a lively bunch. It was a loud church. Um, the, what they were not known for is maturity or calmness or peace. Um, so the gifts were very active there, and the Lord was very present in power, but um, they weren't necessarily Christ-like. And some examples of that would be there was contentions, and there was a lot of um, people that were competing with each other. There was, uh, like, an example would be during their meals, uh, when they would come together and have the Lord's Feast together, the rich people would be over here overeating and getting drunk, while people over here that were poor didn't even have any food. So they had definitely not perfected the potluck yet in the Corinthian church and figured that out. Um, but that's kind of some of the things that you would see there. So in the midst of all this power and wonder, uh, there was also, they weren't being transformed. Another thing that would happen here is a lot of teachers would come by that were preaching something different than Jesus in the, in the gospel that Paul preached, and they would fall for it. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, I feel like Paul is, there's this cry in his heart, and he's like saying, guys, I could give you this list of rights and wrongs and how to act and how not to act, and I could give you this list of this is how Jesus is, and so if someone comes and says this stuff to you, you'll know that it's not him. But what he's saying here is like, his heart is saying, look, there's something that's available to you where you can know him yourself and where his life is living inside of you. So it's not always a question of the right and wrong. It's, it's the life of Jesus living inside of you, and that's what I want to tell you about and when we're talking about what we're talking about here, the contemplative prayer, I think Paul is giving us a great example of that. Again, another piece of background. He's going to be referring to a time in the Exodus where Moses would enter a tent of meeting with God. And he would sit with him and he would speak to him as a man talks to his friend. It's a wonderful statement to even say that. But when he would leave the tent, his face would be glowing so much it would freak everybody out. And so he started to put a veil over it just not to freak everybody out every day. I mean, hearing that, how many of you guys would sign up for that prayer life? Right? It sounds amazing. Paul's about to tell us what you have because you have the Holy Spirit is way better than that. Because it's internal and it's eternal. Okay? So let's start with verse 7. 
Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, talking about the Ten Commandments, the law, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Corinthians, Platparkians, <laughs> he's talking to us. There's something more glorious than that that's available. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, the one that just told you this is the line and you can't reach it, <laughs> with no power that came along with it, that even that coming was glorious. How much more glorious the ministry that brings righteousness with us, with it. You know, the, the ministry of the Spirit, it allows us to actually follow the law in greater than that. Okay, for what was glorious has, what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with this surpassing glory. This is kind of mind-blowing, and uh, I think it's hard to read what they would have heard when they heard that at the time. So let's just try. <laughs> that thing we all would sign up for, it has zero glory compared to what we can have in Jesus Christ. Okay, and if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? <clears throat> There's a sermon in every sentence here. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for the, to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So there's a veil that is removed when we say yes to Christ and he's in us. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For all of those centuries, they couldn't see him because the veil was there. But in Christ, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I'm going to pass up on the billions of messages that could just be on that verse, which is astounding. And we're going to go to verse 18. And we all, including us, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord. Some people say gaze upon the Lord. Some people say reflect let's say contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, let's get that in our minds. As we gaze upon him, we are transformed into his image. That's the way it works. That's the way prayer works. That's the way spiritual formation, transformation, any, any of the things we say. As we gaze upon him, the more we see him, the more we're like him. 1 John 3 actually has a thing that says, you know, we will become like him for we will see him as he is. That's the way it works. It, we look at him. Contemplative prayer. We're gonna what is it? <laughs> We're going to talk for the next five weeks on contemplative prayer. I'm going to define it uh, in, a, in a certain way. Um, there's lots of different, depending on who you're talking to, there's lots of different definitions, and a lot of them are narrow, a lot of them are wide. Let's just make this really easy. Prayer without talking. Can we just say that? Let's just define it that way for today, okay? It can get more specific in different ways, but let's just say that. Jesus is the best thing ever. And it's not like a LeBron versus Jordan um, kind of comparison. He's playing a whole different game, a whole different sport than anyone else. He is the best thing ever. And our entire Christianity is about this man who is unbelievably wonderful. Contemplative prayer is... Let's make this fun and actually be with that person. 
instead of learning a little bit about him and trying to follow certain rules that we think he wants, why don't we actually just be with him? That's the beauty of contemplative prayer. That's what it's calling us into. And I don't know if I'm the best person to say this, to talk about contemplative prayer, but let's, I, I'm not the Tom Brady talking about contemplative prayer. I'm more like Rudy, the guy who shows up for practice. I don't have a whole lot of natural ability. I don't think I'm very good at it, but I come to practice, <laughs> and I've done it for a long time. And so that, that's who's talking to you today, not someone who's good at it, but just someone who, likes to sh- who tries to show up um, for as much as he can. Um, Teresa of Avila, who's kind of like one of the greats when it comes to contemplative prayer, someone asked her, could you just tell us what it is? And she said, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Okay. We agree to that definition. Um, so I'm just going to tell you kind of my journey into this, how I got into this and what prompted me, because that's my goal to here today is to prompt us, say, okay, if there's something more, I want it. Um, the first thing that happened to me was I was in a library in college, and my Christianity, I'd been a, I was raised in a Christian home. I felt a call to ministry, all that kind of leadership roles and Christian things. But I, it was becoming very dry. It was just becoming something that I was doing, a way of life, rules to follow, what to do, what not to do. Um, but I was, I didn't, it didn't take me anywhere. It wasn't an adventure I was having. Um, and so I began to look elsewhere for that adventure. And then one day I was in the library, and I was, should have been studying for a test, and I was just ru- rummaging through different books. And I came up with this book, The, the Wisdom of the Desert Fathers. And this has been a transformational book for me. If you ever pick it up, I recommend it. Just a bunch of like one page, one paragraph, sometimes one sentence, uh, little quips about guys that went out in the desert to spend time with the Lord, who gave themselves to contemplative prayer in silence, and what they said. And when I picked this up, I said, I don't know anyone who talks like this. And I don't know anyone who knows Jesus like these guys do. But I also don't know anyone who lives life like these guys do either. So that was what I call, in retrospect, kind of the seed that was planted in my heart, um, that there's a different way to live that brings about a different knowledge of him and a different intimacy with him. And so that was the first thing that happened. And I don't know, a couple months later, I was um, auditing a class on economics, which had to have been the Lord, because I don't care about economics. I, never, I didn't at the time. I was an art major. But for some reason, I audited a class on economics in college, and then in walks a guest speaker one day, and he's a Marist monk named Bruce Bettler, and he's talking about prayer in a class on economics in not a Christian college. It was, it was such a bizarre thing. I just, <laughs> I just see the, the Lord all over it in retrospect. But he starts talking about prayer, and he starts off by drawing two pictures on the board. That's the first picture he drew. And that's the second picture he drew. This is very elementary, but it was rocking my world. But he said, yeah, um, he said, you know, this has been my prayer life for most of my life. I talk to God. I just talk. I have real big mouth, but real little ears. It's like I call somebody on the phone and I talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. When I'm finished talking, I just hang up the phone and I don't listen for any response. He said, I'd much rather be this person with really big ears and a real little mouth. 
He knows what I'm going to say. I'd rather listen. And he said, I'm going to tell you this. This was such a mind blower to me. And it's the simplest phrase, but I'll never forget it and it changed my life forever. He said, God is a lot more interesting than I am. I'm just going to let that sink in because for, for me, everything just started clicking. All these puzzle pieces started falling in. God is a lot more interesting than I am. So if I'm talking to the most interesting being ever that ever possibly could be, and even greater than that, why am I spending all my time talking and not listening to what he might have to say, right? Um, so this was, just blew my mind. And, he, and then he began to talk about interior silence and what it is. Um, he said, I've been doing this contemplative prayer thing for about 20 years, and now every once in a while, I'll get about 20 seconds of total interior silence where it's just me and the Lord, and I can hear the Lord. And I know that may sound like such a small amount of time, but my brain is just like always going all the time. The thought of even a half a second of total interior silence was just such a shocker to me that that was possible, that I was like, I'm in. Um, and so I went back immediately and went to my dorm room and got rid of all my stereo equipment and anything that made noise, basically. And I said, I want to be in some kind of control of the noise that's always entering into my head. If, the, if the, um, the most wonderful being in the universe wants to talk to me, I don't want him to have to talk over something. So I just began to, I mean, when I'm in, I'm all, all in. So I just got rid of that stuff, and I eventually st stopped using electricity in my dorm room, and I would actually study by an oil lamp trying to be a desert father, you know, in my college <laughs> dorm. So that was kind of my, my, uh, my entry into this. At this point, it was more of I was after the adventure, and it was, I didn't understand that it was intimacy yet. Um, but eventually that changed. I met the Holy Spirit in a different way, and I realized, oh, what I'm longing for is intimacy. And so then I just began my journey into, you know, stumbling into contemplative prayer. For me, it started, I had this prayer list, and it was five pages front and back um, of just people and countries and regions and character traits that I wanted and the people in my life and all this kind of stuff that I was praying for. And so I would exhaust myself with five pages front and back of uh, prayers. And then at the end of it, I'd need to get out that out of my system to make sure I said all the right things first. And then that's the only way I could kind of give him time to be like, okay, I got my job done. Now I'll, now I'll sit and listen. And then eventually I would begin doing some meditations on scripture. Um, what they were just talking about, Lectio Divina, what the Motes were talking about in the Simply Jesus group. I think Cindy's going to do a group similar to that, that kind of 